Anyway, the, we, we saw that the word blessed, which starts each of the, the first uh, 11 parts of the sermon, has to do with a characteristic of God. So you, when you are blessed, as Jesus is talking about here, you are actually in the presence of God. So if you have this characteristic about you, um, and, we, and we looked at those, uh, last week we looked at being poor in spirit, having a sense of humility about you will bring you into the presence of God. Tonight we're going to look at verse 4. And it says this, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. All right, let me read it again because it was really short. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. All right, and, and so what we're looking at here is if you read the, the word blessed as happy, you're going to say, happy are those who mourn, which is very paradoxical. You, know, you see a kid over in the corner crying, they're mourning, they're not happy. My, my daughter spends about 75, 78% of her day crying about something, right? It doesn't matter what it is, like, oh, that pencil's too yellow, or I don't want the white crayon, I want the red crayon, and she's holding the red crayon in her hand. She spends about 78% of her day crying. At least that's what I hear, because I'm at work most of the time. Um, but what Jesus is telling his listeners, he's telling them that those who will be truly happy are those who are mourning. Who, those who are mourning. So, um, and, and like I said, as we saw, the word blessed me, the, the word blessed is talking about happiness. I said it again, didn't I? All right. Um, so what I want to do here is we're going to, the first part of this is we're going to take a look at what mourning is. What does, what, what is Jesus talking about when he's talking about mourning? And then we'll, we'll, we'll dive from there. Um, everyone at some point, unless you're some kind of psychopath, will experience sorrow and mourning at some point. It, it, there, there's not a single person alive who has not been sorrowful over something at some point. When I was in college, um, your freshman year, you got all these kids who are away from home for the first time. I went to a, a, a school um, that they, the guys like to talk about. There's a three to one ratio, girls to guys. Yeah, girls to guys. There's girls everywhere, right? And so you have you're within the first week, all of these guys were pairing up with all of these girls and. Um, and then by the end of the second week, half of them had been broken up. And so you had all these guys in the dorm just sobbing their eyes out because their life was over. They were mourning the fact. And, and you know, the, the upperclassmen were going, dude, you're a freshman, right? You, know, you got all this. Um, now, now, some types of mourning are legitimate and appropriate, but others are abnormal and illegitimate. Um, Improper mourning are those that we experience because we're attempting to fulfill. What's wrong? Oh, you give me a weird look. I, all right, we're attempting to fulfill our selfish desires or our pride. So, uh, a, a good an example. I don't want to say a good example of this, but an example of this is in Second Samuel. Uh, David is the king. David had a couple of different wives, and so and he had a bunch of children with with different wives. And there was this one guy. Uh, his name was Amnon. And Amnon fell in love with his half-sister, Tamar. And because he was in love with Tamar, she was very pretty. She was, she was very, the Bible says she was beautiful. Um, he was in love with her, but because she was his sister, she wouldn't have anything to do with him. And because he was in love with her, he was making himself sick over the fact that she wouldn't talk to him. He was mourning that. Um, and he went to one of his boys, and his boys, gave, his boys, or his boy gave him this this plan of, of what to do in regards to it. Oh, pretend you're sick, and have Tamar come and, and give you some food. And I won't go into all the details here, but 
it did not go well for Tamar. Right? It, 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 Amnon uh, ended up, it, because he was trying to fulfill his pride, he ended up assaulting Tamar, at which point his feelings for her left and he began to hate her. And then uh, Absalom, who is uh, Tamar's brother, was really upset with Amnon for what he did to his sister, so he killed him. I mean, it was just this, this whole thing going on, all because Amnon was trying to fulfill his pride through this, this illegitimate mourning. This is not the type of sorrow that God acknowledges. That, that, that's sinful. There's also proper mourning, uh, and this is the sorrow that someone experiences at the loss of a loved one. The Bible tells us that Abraham was mourning the loss of Sarah. Right? He, had, he had been with Sarah, he'd been through all of these things with Sarah, a number of them that we looked at uh, together last year. And then when she passed away, he began to mourn. Now, it wasn't a mourn, he wasn't mourning out of a lack of faith. He had sorrow because his beloved wife was no longer with him. Right? And, and I'm sure that there have all been times where we have experienced that type of mourning. Um, and this is the type of mourning that God sees and recognizes. Proper mourning takes place when we shed tears over someone who needs Jesus, right? I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever prayed and you've cried over someone who needed, who needed to be saved, um, but that, that's a proper mourning. I, I, there was a time um, when I was in high school, we went to a camp down in, uh, in, in Tennessee. It was a really awesome camp. Uh, and my friend Tim, he, he told us on the bus ride down that he didn't know Jesus and he didn't need to know Jesus. He didn't care anything about Jesus. He was only at camp because mom sent him there. And uh, a bunch of us were really upset about it because we really liked him. He was a cool dude. We, we were really, uh, really upset about this. And so there were times where we were praying and crying for him. Um, and, and I'll tell you, God answered that prayer because by the end of the week, Tim came forward and accepted Christ. It was, it, it was mourning that was well worth it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so there's improper mourning and there's proper mourning. But the type of mourning that Jesus was talking about is godly mourning. And, and what, what this type of mourning occurs when someone is confronted with their sin and it causes them to weep over the depth of it. So when we've been talking about Saul and his confrontation with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Right, it, it, in Acts chapter 9, it tells us that he falls down and he, he says, you know, who are you, Lord? He was mourning the fact that he was being presented with that. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, and we looked at that together as well, uh, Isaiah gets a, a glimpse of God's glory. And the thing that he says in Isaiah 6, 5 is, I am undone. Like he just loses his mind because he, he came to understand that he was a sinful person and he was in the presence of a holy God. That was godly mourning. Um, and then David, uh, it, you, at some point we will probably study this together either in a, uh, Eric's Sunday school class or, or, or I'll teach through it. Um, David, he, he committed a sin with Bathsheba. He should have been out at war. He sent his, his armies off, and he decided to stay home, which was his first problem. Then the second problem, he's out, he's out one night, and he looks over. He's, he's glancing through windows, and he sees a lady taking a bath. He's like, hey, hey what's up? Right? And, he, and, he, and because he's the king, he calls for her, and you know, he's the king, so she came. Um, they ended up having an inappropriate relationship together, and she conceived a child. And so David, in an attempt to cover it up, called her husband home. His name was Uriah. He said, Uriah, come on home. You've been doing a great job. I want to I give you this little opportunity. Come home. And Uriah, because he was a righteous man, he said, listen, my boys are out in the field fighting. There's no way I'm going to go home and enjoy the company of my wife while my men are out here getting ready to die. 
And so he ended up sleeping outside of, the, outside of his house rather than go into where his wife was. And, and David went, well, crud, that plan didn't work. So he ended up, he, he, he sent a letter to, um, oh, why am I drawing a blank? Either, it was Joab. Joab was his, uh, was his general, and he said, Joab, here's what I need you to do. I need you to put Uriah on the front line, and when the battle gets really severe, I need you to fall back. Uriah needs to die. And so they ended up, Uriah ended up dying in battle, and uh, David or Bathsheba had the baby, and because the baby was conceived the way that it was, the baby ended up dying as well. So all of this took place because David, David gave into, into his, sinful, uh, his sinful lust. Um, and when, when all of this took place, David looked at what he had done, and he was just broken by it. And Psalm chapter 51, he wrote this, verses 3 and 4 says this, For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. David is mourning here. And he's not mourning the fact that he got caught. He's not mourning any of those, you know, all of the issues. He's mourning the fact that he sinned against God. And there are about nine different words used to describe sorrow in the New Testament. But when Jesus uses the word mourn here, it's the strongest one possible. It's like the, the double extra strength mourning that he's got going on here. Um, the word has the idea of the deepest and most heartfelt grief, typically reserved for the death of a loved one. So kind of what we talked about with Abraham. When Jacob believed that Joseph had been killed by wild animals, if you remember that story, his brothers uh, were jealous of him. They, they were going to kill him. Instead, they threw him in a pit and tore his clothes off and dipped him in blood and told his dad, Jacob, that uh, he had been uh, killed by animals. That was the type of sorrow that Jacob was experiencing. And that's the type of godly sorrow that we're talking about here. It's godly sorrow and mourning that leads to the confession of sin. When we are truly grieving over our sin, we will confess them to each other. And more importantly, we will confess them to God. This will lead us to the state of blessedness, because you can't say blessedness, blessedness and happiness that Jesus promises. Jesus tells us those who mourn will be comforted. All right, that's what he's saying. Uh, as John MacArthur writes, he said, only mourners over sin are happy because only mourners over sin have their sins forgiven. Sin and happiness are totally incompatible. It's really, it's, it, according to John MacArthur, it is impossible to be tied up in your sin and still be happy over it. And I think that we've all known people who have been caught up in sins like that, and they claim to be happy. Their lives are a wreck. They are just a complete mess. Psalm chapter 32, verse 1 says this, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And then uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verse 10, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. So that kind of gives you an idea of the mourning that Jesus is talking about here. It's a godly mourning. It's, it's, it's being confronted with your sin and just being crushed under the weight of it and understanding that there's nothing that you can do outside of God to get rid of that sin. Now, um, the second thing I want us to look at in the time we have is the results of mourning. What, what, what are those results? So the mourning that we do will lead to spiritual maturity. If you are truly if you are truly repentant of your sin, it's going to cause you to grow spiritually. 
Being spiritually mature does not mean that we no longer sin because we're never going to be sinless. As long as we have this flesh on us, even if we have a brand new heart given to us by Jesus, our heart and our flesh are constantly going to be at war with each other. Paul talks a lot about that in Romans. Um, but we will know what will happen is instead of being sinless, our mourning leads to maturity and we're going to have a better understanding of our sinfulness. And the more we're presented with our sinfulness, and I know that this sounds very contradictory what I'm about to say, the more that we're presented with our sinfulness, the more it's going to cause us to run to Jesus. Because we're going to understand, we're going to say, I am a sinful, wicked person. The only way that I get this sin taken care of is I go to Jesus with it. And the, the, the more mature we are, the more we're confronted with our own sinfulness, the more we go to Jesus with it. Those who mourn over their sin will be comforted. This has a future sense to it, like talking about how all of our tears are going to be wiped away when we're in the, we're, we're in the heavenly kingdom. Um, but it's not referring to some place, something that's going to take place in heaven. So when he says those who mourn will be comforted, it's talking about something that's going to happen in the future, but not a future down the road, a future that takes place after we do something. There's a condition here. Um, the future sense it deals with is the fact that we're comforted only after we've confessed our sins. We must be obedient to confess our sins, and in doing so, we can experience the comfort of knowing our sins are forgiven. Right? My, my dog, uh, she's, she wears her heart on her sleeve, and you can tell when she's done something wrong because of the way that she's acting when I walk through the front door. Right? She doesn't do this with anybody else, but if I walk, I don't even like this dog. I, I don't, right? If, if I could get rid of her in a heartbeat, she would be gone, which is kind of ironic because I'm the one who brought her in the house. Um, but if, if she has done something wrong, she's over in the corner, scrunched down, you know, real, not, not moving. If she hasn't done anything wrong, if she's, if she's joyful, as soon as I walk through the door, she's off the couch, jumping, running, climbing all over me. Those of you that have been in my house and seen my dog, you know what I'm talking about. She does that when she um, sees new people. We can have that same, in a different sense, when we have, have our sins forgiven, that's the kind of uh, attitude and experience that we can have. Whereas if we're hiding something, if we're covering something, if we're holding on to our sin, then there's going to be that burden that we're trying to, trying to hold on to. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we confess our sins, we can have comfort in the fact that Jesus is going to forgive those sins. There's no, I hope Jesus is going to forgive them. I think, you know, if I, did, if I said the prayer the right way, if I, if I you know, uh, gave enough money in the church, if I did all of these things, then Jesus will forgive our sins. The Bible tells us right here, if we confess our sins, if we say, Jesus, I did this, I sinned against you, just like David did, he's going to forgive them. And then we begin to experience that comfort. Uh, John MacArthur again says this, happiness comes to sad people because their godly sadness leads to God's comfort. He will, he will lift the burden from those who mourn over sin, and he will give rest to those who are weary of sin. And then in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. When we come to Jesus with our sins, when we're broken over our sins and we bring them to him, he gives us the comfort and he gives us the rest that he's talking about here. 
Our comfort comes from a couple different sources. In John chapter uh, something at the end, 14, 15, 16, somewhere in that, in that uh, passage, Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's, he's, getting, he's giving them his final uh, lessons, so to speak, before he gets ready to go to the cross. And in there, he tells them that it's good for them that he goes away. Right? And, and you read that and you go, wait a second. These guys are hanging out with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, listen, it's good for you that I'm leaving. And the reason that it was good for them that he was leaving was because when he left, he was sending the Holy Spirit. Another name for the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. Right? When Jesus left, they were then going to have the presence of the Holy Spirit with them. Always someone to bring them comfort. So we get uh, comfort through the Holy Spirit. It also comes from the knowledge that God is our Father. I can't think of anything more comforting than knowing that the creator of the universe, the one who created every single thing with just a word, looks it down on you as if he's your child. Right? In very few cases does a father hate his children. It happens sometimes. In very few cases does it happen. Most of the time, I, I, my, my kids can drive me crazy. Like, but I look at them while they're sleeping, or they, they come... They come up and, you know, they, they're just driving me crazy and, 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 and I've, I've, lost my, I've lost my mind over the things that they're doing. And then they come up to me and I look down at it and the only thing I can feel right then is just complete love for them. And I think those of us that are parents, you all know exactly what I'm talking about. Knowing that God is our father, that he looks down no matter what we've done, he looks down on us and, and, and all he sees is his children should bring great comfort to that. And then the third one, the third place that we get it, is it comes through the promises found in God's word. If you read through scripture, there are all of these promises that are, are given to, to God's children. Now you have to take those promises into context, right? Because there's a lot of people who, who will go and they'll lift things out of the Old Testament. And, and those promises were intended for those people, right? Like Jeremiah 29, 11, I was like, God's got a plan for me. God's got, and he does, but that particular verse is talking to the Jewish children who are in exile at that point. So, but we can get comfort in those promises. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18 says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We can find comfort in that. All right, uh, and then the last thing with the time we have is how do we mourn? How to mourn? Um, so what is needed to mourn like this? What will it take to have that type of godly sorrow? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to get rid of the hindrances that are in our way, right? And, and, and those hindrances are sin. I just wrote down a couple of them uh, from what I was reading. Um, the first one is a love of sin or refusing to let go of something. And there are all things, um, and, and, and very few people can say this, but there are all, all of us have things in our lives that we know are sin and we just can't let go of them. We just won't, we were absolutely refused to let go of them. I, I don't mean to make light of this. I, I have a, uh, I have a, a, something I struggle with. I struggle with gluttony. All right. I, I, told, I shared with y'all this morning. If I get a bag of chips, doesn't matter how big that bag of chips is, I'm going to punish that bag of chips. Right. When it's done, there's going to be like those crumbs and I'm going to lick my finger and drag it along the bottom to try to get every last crumb out of it. Right. I go to, we, we take our kids to Golden Corral. Right, and, and you can get all the steak you want. And trust me, I get all the steak I want. Last night I was good. I only ate one piece, but it was a steak about this big. Right, I think it was a monster. 
We smile about this, but I know that me eating that way is causing problems in my relationship with God. I am not, at this point, I am not willing to let go of it because I like steak a whole lot more than I like spinach. Okay? I mean, I had spinach for lunch today, but I also had some steak. Right? I had a steak and spinach quesadilla. That's what I had, right? It's like, best of both worlds. Yeah. No. All right. But we, we all have these things in our lives that we're not willing to let go of. We have a love for that. Another hindrance is despair or not believing that God will take care of the things that God said he will take care of. When we fall into despair, we start to lose hope. We start to believe that God isn't as big and as powerful as, he, as, as we've been told that he is. He's the creator of the universe, but we think he can't handle our problems. Right? When we fall into despair, it keeps us from experiencing this godly type of mourning. And then there's conceit. And conceit tries to cover our sin. Where you're involved in something, you're doing something that you know is a sin, and yet you think you're clever enough that you're going to be able to cover it from your loved ones, and you're going to be able to cover it from God. Right? As I was reading this, I was thinking about Cain and Abel. We all, hopefully we all know that story. Cain and Abel were brothers. They both brought a sacrifice to God. God liked Abel's sacrifice. He didn't like Cain's. Cain got really angry. He said, Abel, let's go for a walk. Gave him the beat down. Right? And then he buried him, in the, uh, he buried him in, the, in the ground. And God came to Cain later on. He said, Cain, where's your brother? Cain's like, I don't know. Probably with the sheep or something. He's like, am I, am I, is it my turn to watch him? Is in essence what he said. Right? He was trying to cover up his sin. Moses did the same thing when he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. He, they thought they were clever enough to cover their sin. God saw everything. We talked about David with Bathsheba and Uriah. He thought he was covering his sin. But Nathan went to David and said, look, man, th- let me tell you a story. He told him the story about a sheep and a guy who went to his neighbor and ate his sheep and uh, you know, all of these things. And then David's like, well, that dude needs to die. And Nathan's like, Sup, sucker? It's you. That's who we're talking about. All right. Um, when we when we try to when we try to uh, cover our sin, we try to cover it up. But also, we think that our sin isn't really as bad as it is, and so we can do things to take care of it. It's kind of like putting a bandaid on a shotgun wound. Right? It's not going to fix it. Right? I've never been shot with a shotgun, so I don't know if that's it. Might does it work? Okay. Hopefully none of you have been shot with a shotgun. So, um, all right. When we remove, we remove all of these hindrances by keeping our eyes on the scripture and always having a view of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ went through. When we can see the true sacrifice of what Jesus did on the cross for us, it's going to help us to get rid of all of those things that are hindrances. The second thing is that we must study God's word. I feel like I say this every time I'm up here. I was like, you gotta be in your Bible. You gotta be in your Bible. Let me say it again. You gotta be in your Bible. I, I read something that said that when leaders are trying to say something to, their, to the people that are under them, about the time that they're tired of saying something is about the first time that the people that they're talking to are hearing it. So I, let me say it again. You have to be reading your Bible. You have to be studying your Bible. Right? This, this will serve to show us the damage that sin will cause. There are so many examples in the scripture of the damage and the wreckage that's caused by sin. Just read David's family line. Read, read 2 Samuel and all of the things that happened that fell out as a, as a result of sin that took place. Um, it will open our eyes to the fact that sin is not something to laugh or make jokes about. 
right? I, I, I realized I was towing a line by, by making light of the fact that I eat too much, right? That I, that I, have, a, that I have an issue with, with eating things. But we, we, we can't be making jokes about our sin if we're truly mourning over it. The scriptures act as a mirror reflecting our true selves, who we are apart from Christ. When we read the Bible, it gives us a reflection of who we are before we had Jesus. And it helps remind us that without Jesus, we're, we're, we're dead in our sins. We're dead in our trespasses. Uh, it was God's word that, that blew Isaiah up and it led Paul to say this in 1 Timothy. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. The only way Paul was able to say that is because he was in his word. And then the third step to achieving godly mourning is to pray for a contrite heart. To have, we pray and ask God to give us the kind of heart that is sensitive and tender to him. Um, this only comes from God. It's not something we can do on our own. We can't be like, I'm going to work on getting a soft and tender heart today. It's not going to happen because our pride is going to get in the way. This is what David asked for when he wrote Psalm 139. Uh, Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me into the everlasting way. David had a contrite heart because he asked God to give it to him. Now, being poor in spirit is all about being humble. That's what we looked at last week. When we humble ourselves, it will lead us to see our sin for the wickedness that it is. It's not something to joke about, laugh about, all those things. When this happens, we will mourn with a godly mourning that leads to the confession of our sins. Those who mourn in this way will receive comfort, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and found in God's word. They, they will experience happiness, true happiness that's only found in the presence of God. Let me leave you with this verse and then we'll close in prayer. Psalm 126, 5 and 6 says this, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. And this was written by David uh, hundreds of years before Jesus was saying the same thing. Though one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed, he will surely come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves. All right, let's go ahead and we will close in prayer and then we will... Uh, pick this up again in a couple weeks. Father, I thank you so much for tonight, Lord. I thank you for our study in, uh, in the, the, the Beatitudes, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And Lord, I know we're going at a, a slow and deliberate pace, but I, I pray that you would help us to uh, make these traits part of who we are, Lord, that we would uh, truly be humble, we would have a sense of humility, uh, that we would be poor in spirit like we looked at last week. And Lord, I, I pray that you would um, show us our sin, Lord, as we, as we study your word, show us our sin and Help us to mourn over our sin, not to make jokes uh, and, and to treat it lightly, but to truly mourn over it so that we can experience the blessedness that comes from being in your presence. Father, I thank you so much for each person that's here tonight. Keep them safe as they go out, and uh, we pray that they would have uh, opportunities to share your word with others this week. Ask all of this in your beautiful name. Amen.